Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 273 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Really grateful that you've downloaded today's episode, you're giving it a listen. Today we're really going to be going off the, the beaten path, which I guess is the pattern in general for this show. We don't talk about the big, popular, sexy topics like forehand power or kick serve technique or even really strategy very much. We generally delve into more beneath the surface kind of topics. And that's very, very much the case uh, for today. Today's podcast is titled, titled Learn Your Tennis Why for More Happiness and fulfillment. And this is an episode that I actually had partially outlined last week, and I scrapped it and kind of decided, nah, this probably just isn't even a good idea to talk about this. People aren't going to be super interested. Uh, but, but I thought about it some more and decided to go ahead and finish it up and, and record it for today. So kind of an experimental topic and really going to be centered around my own journey, partially, what I've learned. Uh, over the years, uh, throughout my my playing career, my teaching career, and and now as I really get into deeply coaching passionate amateur athletes, this is a topic that comes up for me over and over again. And I'd like to open this show by uh, reading a quick quote from Alice in Wonderland, uh, the story, and uh, just picture. Alice, having having just entered into Wonderland, and she's uh, meeting the Cheshire Cat for the first time, and she's at kind of a crossroads. If you can imagine the the Disney animated uh, feature, she's at standing at that big tree with many roads going in different directions, with all kinds of crazy, confusing signs pointing in different directions. And Alice says, "Which way should I go?" And the cat says. That depends on where you're going. And Alice, Alice says, I don't know. And so the cat replies, then it doesn't matter which way you go. <laughs> and so uh, that, that's always been kind of a little uh, snippet that's always been kind of fascinating to me. And there's so much wisdom in it. Without direction on the court, and this is just one of those areas, again, where tennis mirrors life so closely. And so in, in so many areas of life, in life in general, but and tennis as well, will naturally be motivated by the lowest common denominator if we don't have anything deeper than that to, to really push us forward and to, to have be kind of our north star on the court. And so for most players, the way that they judge whether or not they're doing a good job, quote, I'm putting that in air quotes, a good job or a bad job is very surface level measurables such as wins and losses, or which line you play on your team, or which team at your club you play on. A lot of, a lot of clubs or a lot of areas will have you know, six, eight, ten different teams, and the, the big kind of popular thing to focus on is which team you play on. Maybe which, what rating you have, 3-0 versus 3-5, did you get bumped up? Or which partner you'll get paired with as a doubles player. Well, it's important to realize that at the end of the day, we don't really control any of those things. Of course, we, we have an influence on them, but 
so much, so many of those different things, including rating, which is supposed to be this big, fancy, algorithm-driven uh, system. At the end of the day, there's so many other influencing variables, and so many of them are subjective that all those measurables are extremely fickle and they can rise and fall at the drop of a hat. And so if that's really if if that's really what we're basing our happiness on and our fulfillment and our level of success on the courts, then it stands to reason that our happiness will go up and down just as drastically or just as quickly as those different variables can change. And so in my experience, both in tennis and in life, the most happy, most fulfilled people have a North Star guiding them that transcends those surface measurables. And that's what today's podcast is all about. And I'd like to tell you my, my story related to that. And it's a story that I've only ever told in one other place. It was actually in, in a promotional video for our program called Mental Tennis Mastery. And it's the only place I've ever shared part of this story. This is actually the first time I'll ever share this entire, entire thing, kind of the, the resolution of uh, getting out of the dark place that, that I was in. And the, the person who created that course with me was part of it, uh, for sure, uh, Ed Sang, who co- co-created Mental Tennis Mastery with me. But my story really uh, begins as a really obsessed adolescent. And I, I, I gravitated towards tennis. I, I picked it up relatively late for somebody who's in the tennis industry and who makes tennis their profession. I started around 11 years old and just at the local park courts with my parents, you know, wooden racket. I mean, really pretty, pretty typical uh, start for, for a kid. Uh, nothing fancy. And neither of my parents played. Nobody else in my family played. So we, we weren't members at a club or anything like that. I didn't get lessons for years after I started playing at our local courts. And at the beginning, uh, coming from kind of a middle class family, one, one income, three siblings, my mom stayed at home uh, with us. There really wasn't money for me to take lessons. So early on, I was driven enough, and I, I, just, I, I just felt the, this insatiable uh, love for the game very early on, so much so that I paid for a lot of my own lessons growing up. Had early morning uh, paper routes, worked for a janitorial service for several years. So uh, it was very much self-driven. And again, nobody in my family played. Nobody was pushing me to do it. Uh, and I didn't understand for a long time why the, I had such a draw to it. But I'm going to get into that a little bit later. So I, I had this big dream of making my college team. I played two years of high school tennis. I was actually homeschooled until I was a junior in high school. I played junior and senior year of high school. It was really a, a very big fish in a small pond. I went to a small private high school. I uh, was easily the best player uh, at the school and did super, super well in, in high school. And then when I went to college, quickly, I was not a big fish anymore. And I didn't make my college team my freshman year. 
and I didn't make it at the beginning of my sophomore year either. I worked super, super hard. I mean, incredibly hard, trained, even though I wasn't on the team, was on the court a tremendous amount. I was working off the court quite a bit uh, as far as working out and conditioning and uh, finally made my college team. And I I remember clearly being assigned my college like uniform or warm up and hitting clothes and, and competition clothes and bringing those home for the first time, clearing out uh, a drawer in my dresser just for those clothes and folded them extremely carefully and uh, ordered, ordered them up in that drawer. And that was like one of the proudest moments in my tennis career for sure. And I was just unbelievably um, excited. And it was like the, the culmination of all my work everything kind of led to that moment of being able to play college tennis with players who are, uh, I looked up to tremendously. They're big role models for me, uh, both on the court and off the court. And I got to be the, you know, kind of the, I was the weakest player on the team, having just barely made the team my, my sophomore year. And so I, again, like inspired me and motivated that much, motivated me that much more to keep pushing harder and harder. Nobody on the team worked harder than I did on the court or off the court. I absolutely loved being in that role, but that started to shift at some point after I made my college team at Ferris State University, a Division II school. We were a solid D2 school. We made it to uh, the national tournament all three years that I was on the team. Uh, we were in the final 16 uh, teams nationally. So we played very, very strong uh, competition. And as time wore on, and I was in that role of just having to fight for every single uh, point, being the weakest player on the team most of the time, uh, transitioning from high school where I was like a really big deal and nobody really came close to touching me, to being on the bottom and fighting to barely make the team, I started getting harder and harder and harder on myself. I started becoming uh, just really obsessive and trying to control everything to try to be perfect within the the skill level that I had. You know, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't come from an athletic uh, background as far as my, my DNA or my, uh, my, my parents or uh, really just playing backyard football and baseball and basketball. So, I mean, I was pushing hard to really realize uh, the, the peak level of output that I could possibly, that I could possibly achieve. And as a result, I, I improved dramatically during college, but my happiness my satisfaction, my fulfillment on the court dropped. And it was, you could, if, if you could chart both of those things on a graph, my level of play and my level of happiness, they moved opposite of each other all throughout my three years of playing college tennis. And it happened gradually enough that I, I didn't really think about it until towards the end of my senior year. And at that point in time, I was set to graduate in a couple months. My, my wife and I had become uh, engaged right in between first and second semester during uh, Christmas break. And I was getting more and more unhappy and upset on the court. I mean, just little things would make me fly off the handle. I was getting more and more angry during matches. And then it started spilling over into practice. And my standards for myself kept getting higher and higher and higher. I was just never satisfied. And it got to the point where basically if I didn't play perfectly, then I was not happy. 
And those of you who've been playing tennis uh, for any length of time at all know that that's just a recipe for disaster. And so I got to the point where I, I just I remember making having a realization on the court that my gosh, this just isn't even worth it anymore. And so all of this that I had fought so hard for, all of the accomplishments and um, you know modest accomplishments, but but for me, really my life, honestly, like all of my my identity and uh, everything that I had fought for in life was on a tennis court. And so I got to the point where I I walked off the team, and that caught that really kind of shook me just outside of the immediate, like, holy crap, like, I'm not competing anymore. And, the, the, like, the finality of just, like, walking off the court for the last time and knowing that, okay, I'm not on it, I'm no longer competing. And I knew I was going to go on and I was going to teach. So it's not like I was leaving the game. Uh, being a, a tennis pro was was my dream career and it was what I was working towards all four years of college. So I still had that in front of me and I was I was still excited about that and still loved teaching. Uh, but the fact that I walked away from competition really caused me to look and reflect, um, inside of myself. And it wasn't for many years that I competed at anything really, uh, publicly again. It wasn't till probably four years later, maybe five years later, I was in Washington, DC at uh, my second full-time teaching job. And I started playing platform tennis. And I remember, I don't, I don't remember which match it was, but I was out there warming up. It was a cold night. Uh, platform tennis is a, is a winter sport. It was snowing a little bit. And I just remember having this profound sense of gratitude just for being there. Had nothing to do with whether or not I was going to win or lose that match nothing to do with how sharp my serve felt or how well I was hitting my return or how clean my volleys were being hit. For the first time in my life, in competition, I was just, I was, I was so grateful and happy and satisfied to just, to just be doing what I was doing. And I remember that moment. I don't remember any particulars about the match, if I won or lost or who I was playing with or anything like that, I just remember that moment looking up at the sky and just being grateful for being there. And uh, it occurred to me in that moment, wow, what, what if I could have that for tennis? What if I had had that during my four years of college, my three years of playing on a college team? How much different would my story have been and how much more... I, it was still one of the best experiences of my entire life. I still count it as one of the things I'm most grateful for in my, my college tennis career. Just deep, you know, friendships and relationships, incredible competitive experiences. But it all ended in misery, honestly. I walked away from the one thing that I love the most uh, about life. And, um, and that really bothered me. So when I had this experience on the platform courts, I was like, wow, first of all, it was just really impactful to me. Second of all, I wondered, what, what if I could translate that to tennis? And, and so several years later, after moving back to Wisconsin, for the first time in seven, eight, nine years, I played my first competitive 
tennis. And uh, it was a it was a USTA league, and and this was several years now, kind of down the the path of reflecting on that experience on the platform court. And I, I created mental tennis mastery with that saying. I learned a tremendous amount about being present and being mindful, and um, how the mind works, and letting thoughts come and go instead of obsessing over things that are happening internally, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so uh, one summer I played on a league uh, competitively, and this was for the first time in many, many years, really since college, playing anything, quote, serious, where it, it, it was being recorded someplace, whether or not I won or I lost. And I was kind of fascinated to see that I was starting to see some success, just letting go of little failures. Um, and I was so happy. I was so frankly relieved by that. And I experienced some things that I've never experienced before in my competitive career. I started coming back in matches that never, ever, ever happened to me before. I was the kind of player that either won really quickly or I lost really quickly. But, you know, I probably could count on, on one hand throughout my competitive career how many three set matches I'd ever won. And I went through a streak where I actually won three or four three set matches in a row. And it, it was kind of profound to me that I could lose, and it was in the same pattern, losing the first set and then winning the second set and winning the tiebreaker or, or winning the third set. That had never happened to me, much less multiple times in a row. And it was 100% because of my different perspective, because of my different attitude. I was able to, in a way, just kind of be a, a third person spectator and just kind of float above the court a little bit and just uh, in a very... Um, non-emotional, non-judgmental way, just perceive what was happening in my own game and in the game of my opponents and, and just clearly just problem solve and figure it out and figure out how to win. And, and I was never able to do that before. And it was kind of at first, like when, when it became a trend, it was, it was a little bit uh, confusing to me. And this, this change in me I really didn't understand fully until relatively recently, just actually a few months ago. And this is the 273rd episode of this podcast that I've been recording for almost 10 years now. And I didn't understand uh, that change, that switch get, that got flipped until relatively recently, or at least why it was there. So a few months ago, I was watching random YouTube videos, which is one of the very few ways that I, I just kind of pass time. And I was watching a, a video from a fitness expert. He's, he's one of the top kind of fitness and nutrition guys on YouTube. And he did a video about figuring out what your why is. Now, that's a concept that I'm familiar in from just kind of studying entrepreneurial topics and business development. Um, there's a really famous TED Talk. I think one of the most uh, viewed TED Talks of all time, it might be the most viewed TED Talk of all time, from a gentleman named Simon Sinek. And it's titled, I think it's called Finding Your Why, uh, but it's about business. Uh, anyway, this guy took that, that principle or that concept and he applied it to fitness he was challenging his, his viewers to figure out why you work out, why you train. And, and I had heard all that before, like figure out what your, your motivation is. But he challenged me and other viewers to go a layer deeper. 
and really kind of spoke directly to me with this. Like I had always told myself, well, I just love, I love to play. I love the competition. I love the challenge. And I, I love to teach. Like I love coaching, especially when it's people with, uh, with students who share my passion for the game. Like I know I love all those things, but he, he challenged me to go a level deeper than that. Well, it's great. Great, Ian, that you love to play. It's great that you love to teach. But why? Why do you love those things? The fact that you love them, obviously, is why you keep coming back. But why do you love them? And so it, it kind of bothered me when, when he challenged me to go a level deeper, I didn't know the answer. And it kind of churned in the back of my head uh, for days, maybe even a week or two. And then really early one morning, I was in the shower and it just kind of came to me all of a sudden. And I thought back, and someday maybe I'll tell more about this part of the story, but I thought back to when I started playing. I mentioned earlier, I was 11, 12. And as I really started to take to tennis in my, my early teens, and I started being driven enough to, to work on the side, pay for my own lessons, I found a coach, I found a mentor, who without him, I would not be speaking to you today. You wouldn't be hearing my voice if it wasn't for this person. And he was, he's, he was and is a really special, special uh, coach and, and mentor and teacher and uh, guide. And he was the first person that I really connected with who shared my love of the game, number one. Number two, when he identified that in me, I mean, he just really kind of took me under his wing. And there were many weeks where he didn't charge me for lessons when he knew that it was a struggle for me to pay it. Or he would charge me just for the court time um, which was like less than half of what his lesson rate was. So he was essentially teaching me for free uh, for periods here and there. Not, not the whole time I took lessons from him, but definitely for periods where he knew that I was in kind of a tough spot. And so I, I really would never have developed to where I was, you know, the, the modest uh, in the grand scheme of things level of play that I achieved would never have been possible without his support. And I never, ever, I don't think, would have uh, developed a love of coaching and teaching without him demonstrating it for me first. And this all came at a, a point in my life where, uh, where things were not pleasant at home. And so tennis very much became a refuge for me, away from home, a place where I was in control and People appreciated like my level of effort and focus. I was like the most driven junior tennis player ever. <laughs> and uh, I was a, a leader to my peers and, uh, and kind of, you know, a favorite of like the coaches because I, I worked so hard. And it was a sport where I was by myself. You know, I'm, I'm an introverted person. And so all it fulfilled all these different things for me. And, and I found like a male like role model and mentor during a time where my dad wasn't around a lot. Just he couldn't be not, not that he didn't want to, like I, 
my dad loves me and uh, did the best that he could during that point in time. And it was really hard for him too. <clears throat> and so tennis for, you know, those probably five, six, seven years was very much kind of a lifeline for me. And it became, un it was just woven into my DNA during that those, you know, super for formidable years and uh, became such an important part of me. And that's why I'm speaking to you today. Without that, there's no way that I would have recorded 273 of these episodes. There's no way that while working 60, 70 hours a week, I would have started a business on the side and uh, started Essential Tennis just because I really wanted to connect with other people like me. And so that's what drives me. That's my, that's my why. That's why I love it so much. That's why I have such a deep connection with the sport. That's why I love to play and I love to teach. And so my challenge for you is to ask yourself that same question in that same way beneath the surface. Why? So, okay, so you like the fitness. You, you like the physical challenge. You like the competition. You like the connection with friends and peers and uh, teammates. That's great. But why? Give it some thought. And if you think you have an answer, ask yourself again, why? Try to go multiple layers deep than whatever the surface is. And why is this important? Because if you understand what fuels you, if you understand your, your deepest motivation, then that helps when those little bumps in the road come because they will virtually every time you walk onto the court. It's maybe once or twice a year that everything just lines up, everything clicks and it's like, it's like beautiful and everything feels effortless and flowing. That doesn't happen much. And so if you're judging your happiness and your success based on how well you're hitting the ball, or your wins and your losses, or which line on your team you play, or which team you play on, or what your rating is, or which partner you get paired with. If, if those are your motivators, then you will have big ups and downs. And more than likely, at a certain point, you'll come to a crossroads like I did on the courts where you wonder, is it, is it worth it anymore? Is this still worth it? Is it worth all the time, all the effort, all the money? I've been in that same place. And I'm just super grateful that, that uh, I, had other, I had other avenues of, of uh, fulfillment. Teaching you know, was, was huge for me. And so it gave me several years off the competition court to kind of figure this out. And I didn't even figure it out on the tennis court. I figured it out on a platform tennis court. And then slowly through uh, studying what we have inside of Mental Tennis Mastery and, and just more self-reflection and, you know, working with more students and, and other practitioners and teachers, I can't tell you how important this is. And uh, I hope that some part of this story really resonated with you. I hope that you understand and really kind of buy into how important this is. If you're listening to my voice, then it's deeper for you than the surface. If you're listening to my voice, then we, we share that in common. 
And so let me just encourage you to get, really give it some deep thought and try to come up with an answer and then question yourself again. Ask yourself why again, but why that? Because the deeper of an answer you come to, the more fulfilling, the more satisfying, the more happy your journey is going to be on the court. And if I can help you achieve that just a little bit more, then I'll be eternally grateful uh, to have been a part of that. So give it some thought. Send me an email if you come up with uh, an answer that surprises you. Or maybe you already know the answer relatively intuitively. Either way, I hope you come to something really profound for yourself. And I hope that tennis continues to be that that deep, kind of intimate part of your life. And uh, I hope it continues to be that way for the rest of mine and, uh, and yours as well. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube where we are the number one resource in the world providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care and good luck with your tennis.